as they go to classes. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we're going to uh, continue on with what we just talked about with the kiddos. I don't know if I have much of a voice left because that it is well with my soul. That's high, y'all. It is well. I was just moving my mouth. I wasn't singing. I'm just being honest right now. I can't get that high. Just moving my mouth. Woo! That was good stuff, though, and it sounded beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, Y'all stepped up today, and I really like it. Now, sometimes when we pick out some songs and we go acapella, I'm just like, oh, Lord, let it be over. But today was good. Today was good. Today was really good. Um, A lot of good stuff there. Um, So, (laughs) as uh, I was telling the kids, that's kind of today's focus is we're getting into Acts chapter 6. And so if you'll turn with me, we'll go ahead and read the scripture, we'll pray about it, and then we'll talk about it. So if you would uh, read with me, the words will be on the screen here. Uh, The scripture will be up on the screen if you want to read along there or read along in your Bible. That's perfect. As we get into chapter 6, here's what it says. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom, who can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and and Timon, or Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Then they had them stand before the apostles who had prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray over that. Father, as your words before us, I pray that you speak through me, that the words that are said today are evident, uh, that there's application in our life. Father, help us to see that individual focus, the whole picture focus with the church, and to be obedient of what you'd have for us today. Father, may your spirit move in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One of the greatest things that I think have happened in my life in the past couple years was the, a little thing called the Kroger click list. (laughs) Who's done that before? Who thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread? Amen. Yes. Yes. Who's like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, Walmart's got something like that now. What's it called, Walmart? The pickup or something? Yeah. Kroger click list. What is that, right? So let me tell you what it is. It's a little magical tool that you can say, all right, here's what I want. Get on the app. We get on it after the kids fall asleep at night and we do our grocery shopping and we click on these certain things that we want. And the next day we go, we pull up at Kroger and within a few minutes, they come out with a cart full of groceries, put it in the back, and you leave. You don't get out of your vehicle. Your kids stay asleep in the car. They sit there and watch a movie. You get back home, and the kids look up, and it's like, where'd we go? Grocery shopping. Best thing 
ever. I love it because before this, it was either, it was either, now Sean, you stay home with all the kids, I'm going grocery shopping. Or, or it's like, honey, let's all go grocery shopping and I'm pushing a cart with two kids in the front, one in the back, and, and Noah standing on the edge of it and Claire sitting in the very front hand. I got the cart of kids and Candace got the cart of food, right? And then we're tag teaming it like that. And we're like, no, you can't have that, quit. And we give them a box, all right, open that box, we'll pay for it and they're eating food before we get out. Just be quiet, right? And that's, that was it, and it was like this, this thing you feared, right? But we had to do it anyway. Um, but now, that was something that when your plate's so full, you can take a little bit off your plate. It's like, oh, wow, right? When you have a full plate and you have something that gets taken off or gets completed in a different way or a more efficient manner by a tool or a person, if you're looking at it in the analogy that I'm going for, that is more effective in doing just that, it's amazing the impact that it can make. Right? Today, our scripture lends toward that example. You see, the church was growing so much. The church was multiplying and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the needs of the church, therefore, were getting bigger. As the church began to get larger and larger, a natural result of the growth of the church were some of the needs could fall through the cracks. There's so many people. How could just a few people take care of all of that? This example shows the importance of a church, the importance of structure in a church, right? And the organization, not just in a church, in a, in, in a spiritual setting, but it's so important that it shows it's specific with the church here. You know, in uh, and before this, a lot of people will reference the early portions of Acts, um, saying, look, they were spreading, they were going to homes, they were having church in homes. The church, the building of the church and, you know, a church family, a large group called a church, right? A congregation, it's not relevant. They were just going back then and they, was doing, they were doing a great job. And they seemed to ignore this portion and, go, and this point on from Scripture, the, showing the importance of being able to meet the needs as the church began to expand in this. So, in, in thinking of that example, let's break down the scripture and let's look at what um, it has for us. And as I like to say, let's unpack the scripture and try to find application for our lives. So in the first verse, it gives us just that. In those days, very first verse. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, the church was expanding. You know, we're seeing thousands and hundreds get added and added to the number. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Let me put that in my own terms, right? So there were these um, modernistic believers, right? I would say those ones that were, uh, if you looked at from the Hebraic Jews, looked at these people as the ones that um, uh, would make all these compromises for the culture of the world. They're very 
very, oh, they're, they're defined by the culture, right? They were the Greek-speaking Jews. They were the ones that weren't from the Judean area, but were converts from different areas that were Greek-speaking. So I would say they were the ultra-compromising Jews. Liberal, it would be a word we use today, but it's far too reaching. But it would be far more stretching, right? Oh, they let the... Those are the people like, hey, those are the people that go, come to church in their shorts and their uh, wife beaters, like, how dare them? And if the ones, in, <laughs> the ones in the suits are looking at them like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Opposite end of this, now listen, I'm stretching it, but I'm trying to give you a visual here. The opposite of this, these are people like, the Hellenistic Jews were looking at the Hebraic Jews as the ones that were ultra-traditionalists. They were holding on to all the old things, and they were like, they're, they're keeping the church from growing. I can't believe they're the ones that, right? And you can see that picture kind of in today's world if, if, you, if you lend to that. But the Hellenistic Jews, they were still Greek-speaking because they were coming from so many different areas, and they felt kind of like outsiders. All these needs being met, but here we go, you all going over there and helping the, the Hebrew women the widows, but the Hellenistic ones were getting left out. That's what they felt. So here's this division. A lot of times Satan likes to attack from the outside and we say, oh, watch out for the culture, the culture of the world, the world's attacking the church and trying to break the church apart. But the most, some of the most effective methods that Satan attacks is from the inside out. And there's two different cultures represented in the church in this scene, okay? Two different ones. There's many in today's society, and we can see this in so many different ways, so many different beliefs and approaches and feelings about certain things. But this is an example that's so perfect to the church because in this, Satan takes these different groups of believers, of Christians, and something as simple as an unintentional um, uh, somebody getting left out unintentionally could drive them in such a way to separate and cause division. And if you start out with this first verse, you're going to see, okay, Satan's starting to do his thing from the inside out. The Hellenistic ones and the Hebraic ones are starting to battle because they don't agree on the same thing. So now they're seeing a little bit of a difference of somebody being left out. So how dare them? They're getting their way. It's not fair. This ain't right. And of course, once you start talking and people start talking, little issues blow into huge issues. If you know what I mean, especially, I mean, not especially, in any um, community and in any congregation. But as the congregation continued to grow, people would lean more towards the people that are like them. So even though they were all one and of one accord, you still have the cliques in the groups because those people would naturally gravitate to those that are similar to them. That's just human nature. So they were battling, and they went to the leaders, right, the apostles. And they said, look, our widows are not getting fed. Essentially, in this culture, okay, and I know you're, we've talked about it a few times in the past, in this culture, widows... If they did not, obviously their husband had died, who was the, um, the provider of the family, but
But if they did not have any immediate family to help them, if they didn't have even cousins or, you know, sons and daughters or distant relatives that would help them, they would literally oftentimes starve to death because they had no way of providing for themselves in this culture. Right? Because the men were the one that did the working and whatnot, and that was just the way it, way it was then. So if they didn't have those helpers, they would literally die. They were upset because in this, they had this ministry within the church. They would, they would go out and they would distribute food to the needy. Right? And it, and it appears, it's evident that way, that they had food that was getting sent out. Well, obviously some people were being left out. And that division started because it was not, it was the widows that were of the Hellenistic culture. Okay, so as Satan began this attack, in these two, two, two different groups, Satan tried to take advantage of the, of the differences there, and it was obvious. And John MacArthur, who sees it in a similar manner, he says that in a congregation of that size, at this point there's thousands, there always is going to be somebody left out. I guarantee you there's a bigger issue that really could have been brought up in some way or another of something being left out or needs not being met than of some widows of a certain culture. But that's what Satan chose, and he, he decided to cause separation. In verse 2, let's look what happens. Let's see what happens here. It says, The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples. The twelve apostles, right? They summoned the whole company of the disciples. So they got the church together, like in a congregational setting, right? All, everybody got together. Say, all right, let's all get together here and let's talk about this. And here's what they said to him. said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now, they're not saying there's different levels of, uh, of calling, like a higher calling. That, that statement this is a higher calling than another is the most ineffective statement in my mind. Because any calling of God is the highest calling because God's given you that specific calling. You cannot say that uh, being an evangelist or a missionary, well, God selected that person for the highest calling and he sent them overseas to be a missionary in, in, in a poverty-stricken area. That is a high calling. But also a high calling is the person that comes and, and decides to vacuum the floor in the church because that's a high calling they've laid on that person. That's what God chose. And who are we to determine what's, what's better in God's eyes, right? These callings are all of the highest calling. So what they're saying is God selected us to do these things. God specifically appointed and selected these men to be the ones that were to be praying over the church. Not just convenient times of the day after their meal or before a meal, or right before bed at night. I mean, these men prayed. They were, their knees were calloused from prayer because they lived in prayer and in study and preparation to deliver messages, to share the gospel. So these were men that their entire lives revolved around two things, or were supposed to, their spiritual calling revolved around praying and preaching. And Satan, it's trying to infiltrate that, right? And tries to cause them um, to be focused in a different area. And I feel that was an, in, un, in an indirect uh, effort that he had there. So he said, it, it would not be right. It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word to wait on tables. 
to be delivering the food, to do the um, practical tasks, because God's called us to these uh, spiritual uh, leadership tasks. And they go on and say, brothers and sisters, select from you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. But we are going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they, they approach this in a method that could have been really easy. Could have been like, all right, Peter could have stood up and said, all right, forget it, guys. I'll go there and I'll deliver this food to them and they'll be happy and this will be gone. And that could have been something that was solved that day. But this could have been an issue that would have kept coming back. Instead, they took a leadership approach in what they were supposed to be, the leaders they were called to be, and they gave directives or delegations is what they wanted, uh, called for them to do. Because they were supposed to be busy, completely busy in the ministry of the word. And this shows, the way they handled this shows just how important they saw that. That we are called to preach and we're called to pray. And I have to do so in, in preaching. I've got to be so prayer-filled and so studied up that when I deliver the message, I am doing it at the highest level that I possibly can. And therefore, I will not let anything else distract me from that, that main calling because they were without a doubt, they knew what their calling was, was to preach. Now, I don't want us to sit here and take this, well, God's called them to preach, it's different. This goes to every single person here and every person listening in. God's called you to a specific task or duty. He's given you a specific gift to use. Now, are you saying my life gets in the way and I can't do it, so I'm going to bury my talents until that something else comes up and I'll get them later? Are you saying, I'm going to get rid of all the noise and all those things that Satan uses to distract me from using my gifts and talents, and I'm going to focus in and give it the time and the effort and the prayer that it deserves so that I can be effective in what God's called me to do? And that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, and that's a question that I ask myself, and we should if we want to be on the, as obedient and as loving as we need to be to the calling that God's given us because your calling is of the highest order. Your calling is specific to you. And some of you can say, I don't even know what my calling is. So I'm just gonna sit back and wait till God comes and writes it on the wall for me and tells me what it is. But we're gonna find that these people that get selected are servants or uh, deacons, as we use. In this scripture, it doesn't specifically say deacons. In Acts, it doesn't say deacons or deaconesses or any of the such. But with deaconi, uh, that gets used in 1 Timothy. Deacons, where that, that comes from, that word is literally translated servants. And we can use them as titles, and that's, the title is in the church. They use it in that example, but all of us meet the expectation of servant, because we are servants. So we are all called to do. And so that is a verb. 
That means you don't sit back and wait for God to show you something by him writing it on the wall, but while you're doing, while you're going, and while you think you're being obedient and you're doing the things God calls you to do, he's going to reveal to you while you go and while you do. Not while you sit back on our butts and wait for God to show us something, but while we're going and doing and loving others and being obedient for when God shows us something that needs to be done. We're driving by on the street and we know that there's this family that's there and been needing for a long time, but hey, somebody in the church is gonna take care of it. I pay my tithes, that's their job. That's incorrect because you know God's laid it on your heart, but you let, you let yourself and the flesh and the world get in the way of you doing what God's called you to do. Whatever it is, somebody in your work that you know needs love, needs reached out to, something needs said, a need needs met in some way or another, a card needs sent, what have you. You know what God's given you a specific talent to do. Are you going and doing or are you waiting for God to give you some magical sign? Because that's not what scripture tells us is going to happen. We have to go and we have to love and you know what's in your heart and what your calling is. Whatever that may be. God will reveal it to you because when you finally are doing that, there's no doubt in your mind that you're doing what God would have you to, to do. So ministry, there's an illustration that I, I want to share with you. Um, it's any type of ministry, right? Don't just think of preaching, but the ministry is a lot of work, even apart from all the administrative portion of it. But there was a young man who said to this, this pastor, he said, man, he listened to him preach. He said, I would do anything in the world. I would do anything in the world to be able to preach and to teach the Bible like you. And that wise pastor looked back at him, at this young pastor, and he said, good, that's great. Because that's exactly what you'll have to do. You have to give the entire world to be effective in what your calling is. And that's indicative of what we have to do to be as effective as what we're called to be. It's to focus in on what God would call us to do instead of saying, all right, this is my calling, but I'm going to do this, 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 this along the side of it. And ultimately, this, this, this finds itself at a higher priority. And this calling happens whenever it's convenient. It doesn't take the priority. It takes a back seat for whenever it's convenient. And you use that. There's a perfect example in scripture of just that, of the mother of the sons of Zebedee. He said this, he, uh, the mother came up and approached Jesus, right? And she said, she said, she knelt down to ask him, she said, promise to me that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in the kingdom. She approached Jesus just begging and asking him this, she said, please let my sons, one on your right and one on your left, sit with you, right, in your kingdom. And Jesus responded, knowing what her, uh, her motive was, knowing that she was put, put up to this by her two sons, she said that, he said this, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And those two sons heard that and said, we are able, but they had no idea. Because when you want a position at the right or left hand of Jesus, it takes sacrifice. It takes a lot of sacrifice. And that's something that we're not willing to do far too often. 
And we find ourselves in those positions where we are self-driven instead of sacrificially living. And Jesus gives, <laughs> gives us that term, you, you don't know what you're asking. God, I wish you would show me my calling. And God, I wish that I, would, I could be more obedient to the calling. God, I want to be of the, uh, as obedient as possible. Okay? Are you ready to live sacrificially? Are you really? Do you really want to? Or is it just going to be something that's convenient to you? That's what we have to ask ourselves. We can give it lip service all we want to, but until there's action followed up with what we're saying and what we're feeling, there's going to be no result. You're not going to be living it like you say you want to. That's the perfect example in Scripture. So it's a sacrificial type living. And in this scene, I want, I want to go back to the scene where we're at right now, right? Where these uh, apostles are appointing these men to be deacons or to be servants in the church because the needs are essential to the church. And one need is not more important than the other. And yet, I heard a, a, a pastor say it this way, that he had a, church, a, a member come to him and he said that they were groaning about their position, Right? It's like, I, I, I just wish I could do more. I, I, I don't think that this is the right place for me. And he said that person compared it to being, he said, listen, every part of the body is important. It's essential. Every part of the body is essential. And it plays the perfect role. And in trying to explain that to his, his member in the congregation, he said, yeah, but I feel like I'm the, I'm the big toe of the congregation. I'm always hidden. And I'm always in places I don't want to be, right? And that's not what I, that's not, I feel like I can do more. But then he explained it. He said, listen, God's placed you in this to do these things. And if the big toe that you've been designed to be was placed on the forehead of the church, it just wouldn't look right, would it? And, and, and he said, that helped the visual. Because every need is just as important if that big toe were gone, or if you lost even the pinky toe of your foot, you would, the whole church would be ineffective because you would be hurting, you would be in pain, you would lose balance because the importance of every part of the body that gives us that metaphor and that analogy there is so important because it all plays an important role. So if you ever feel like what God's called you to do is ineffective, don't. Do it to the best of your ability so that your role can benefit others instead it can hurt others and whatever that is. And that's something we pray about. And that's something each of us individually, you can't wait for somebody to sit here and to carry you and to sit here. This is what you do in the church. This is what you do for the kingdom of God. Ready, set, go. Oftentimes you have to be the one that's going and swirling around and finding your way and finding what's wrong 50 times before you find what's right. And then when you find your place, you fit in and you do it to the best that you can and wherever God places you. And Jesus gave the example of not feeling less than. In fact, in fact, in the example where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, right? And he took that garment and wrapped it around his waist and he got at the feet of the disciples and he did the lowest servant's role there was in washing the feet of the disciples those callous, dirty, nasty, stinking feet, he washed them because he knew that he had to show them just what it meant to get down and to be willing to serve 
at every level because the least of these will be seen as the highest because you are willing to do whatever it takes. You're willing to do. And Jesus gave that example. So in this scene, as we continue with the scripture reading, as the proposal of those seven men, it pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the man full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to hear more about him next week. A lot more about Stephen. <clears throat> Philip, a couple more names here that I can't, you know, I can't remember how to pronounce. <laughs> Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and uh, Parmenas and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. All those names right there are Greek, by the way are Hellenistic, by the way. Remember the ones that were complaining? It's so, these leaders were so smart in addressing the need with people that were gonna be sensitive to the needs. All three of these men, these men, these names are Greek names. That's, that's, that's impressive. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. You see these obstacles when they come to us, it can, it can be something for us to back away from and say, okay, hopefully this just goes away. And sometimes we can take confrontation that way. We can step back and say, well, maybe this will go away. We'll ignore it. They'll probably stop complaining and it'll just go away. And you know that that wouldn't happen. It would have just magnified over and over. Or you can see these obstacles as an opportunity, an opportunity to delegate. And that's what this, the leaders did. They saw it as an opportunity to build up leaders in the church, to assign people to tasks within the church so that they can love in the way that they're called to. And that's what they did. See, the Holy Spirit is at work. Oftentimes, we see the Holy Spirit is doing these miraculous things. So if the Holy Spirit worked in this, he would have just let all them problems go away. No. The Holy Spirit was at work in a way that was not this signs and wonders and all that. Instead, the Holy Spirit was in a way working in these men in a practical way. You say, God, the Spirit doesn't move me when I go and I help and prepare the, 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 uh, the communion. What? If you allow the Spirit to work through you, it's a, it is part of the church and the process of the church and the structure of the church and it's important. Spirit works in practical ways within the church as well. So the word of God spread, verse 7, because the way they approached this. The devil tried to intervene, but they saw this obstacle as an opportunity, and because of that, the structure of the church came down, right? As they only having these men at the top trying to handle everything, handle all the problems, they used this as an opportunity to have overseers, servants, within the church, right? The deacons, deaconesses, seeing that we see, we use that terminology, come down to fall down more, to have more leadership and oversight within the church. And they use that obstacle as an opportunity for the church to have structure and the church to grow. So in that, the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith because it was handled with wisdom, because it was handled with sensitivity, this division turned in to growth. As the worship team comes up, 
I want you to think of the many times that Satan's tried to come into your life, whether it be the news of, uh, uh, of a medical concern, whether it be a relationship issue, whether you're facing trials with your work and you don't know about your, your income for the next several days, if you're going to be able to make it in the next few weeks. Satan tries to come from the inside, and oftentimes it's in ways that no one else knows about. We can see that as an obstacle, or we can see that as an opportunity. Several of us in here today have obstacles. But let's take the perspective of it being an opportunity for us to become more obedient, more trusting in God. And know that if right now you're not facing any obstacles and life's just hunky-dory, they're going to come. You better pray up and get ready because when they come, how are you going to approach it? God's given you an amazing, amazing resource in the Holy Spirit. If you pray for the Spirit's guidance and His direction in our decision-making, in this scene right here, your obstacles can be your opportunities for growth and for the spreading of the gospel through your testimony of how you've overcome and how you've allowed God to use you. Let me pray for you before we see. Father, today, as we see in this scene of the Satan trying to be divisive and, and trying to find his way in any of the gaps and any of the crevices of our weaknesses, God, that we don't let that happen. And Father, when that negativity comes in, even when the inadvertent things that happen to us from other people, know that he's at work, but God, light is far greater than the dark. Your goodness will overcome in all situations. Father, may we grasp on to your son, Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know your son Jesus as their personal Savior and do not call him Lord, may right now be a moment that they say, I'm tired of this life of fighting, of battling, and I'm ready to surrender. I'm tired of all these obstacles in my life. Let them now be the opportunities that I grasp onto. And Father, may your hope be everything that I fix my eyes on. No more is this world going to have its way, but from now on, Lord, it's your way. And I'm going to live sacrificially. Let my calling be greater than anything this world brings at me. And may I work solely striving to meet your calling to my highest potential. But God, may we, as you've multiplied the disciples in this scene, may our praise and our honor and our glory that we give you over and over again be multiplied. And let us sing about it right now. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Let's sing, church.